0: What does the word fellowship mean to you? Does it mean hanging out with friends? Does it mean eating a meal? Maybe it's going on a hike when you feel like the cast from Lord of the Rings. Fellowship means different things to all of us. In fact, the core, the wo- at the core, of the word koinonia means community. Community. Joint participation sharing what one has in common. So when we think of fellowship, we all think different things because we all have different interests, don't we? We all have different things that we like to do that maybe somebody else doesn't like to do. And so when we think of fellowship, we tend to think fellowship means what we like, not what they like. And it's important when you're talking about fellowship in the sense of church And what Scripture says that we all use the same definition, that we all think of fellowship in the same way. You see, one may like sports in the church, while others can't stand them. One likes nature, the other wants to be at home. One likes books, while another prefers movies. One finds science fascinating, while another prefers history. Each topic pulls us towards each other with those that are like-minded like we are. What happens when we think of fellowship in the way Scripture spells it out? Well, we're faced with something that many of us agree is important, but we're still not sure exactly how that fits into our personal lives. Our goal today is to take a look at what the early church did in establishing fellowship, To see how we're doing in these matters and not to grow only in our fellowship with God, but also in our fellowship with one another and the saints of God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. Turn to Acts chapter 2. And before we we, we read the verses starting in verse 38, I want to just give a little backdrop to what's going on in this book. In the book of Acts, we see that Jesus ascends and he tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And he sends his Holy Spirit upon them. They are called to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And Peter stands before the multitude at the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover. A feast that the Jewish people would celebrate and many that would not live in Jerusalem would come out to this festival. And what would happen is... When they would come they'd come from completely different backgrounds some of them learning other languages different dialects but they all found it important to attend and Peter gets up in the midst of them and starts proclaiming to them the Lord Jesus Christ he ties the Lord Jesus to the old testament and tells them that Jesus is the Messiah the Lord the one that they themselves crucified. Peter's message was not one of this is your best life now. Peter's message was you need Messiah and you killed him. What's amazing about what happens here is starting in verse 38, listen to what it says. These people are pricked at the heart. They're wondering what do we do? We know we're guilty. And Peter says this Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all. As anyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You see, it's no small thing that when these Jews believed in Jesus, they were baptized in their baptism they identified no longer with the religious practice that they were familiar with they identified with Yeshua Messiah this was a public declaration to those around and even their families that they now believed Jesus was the promised Messiah that was sent for them before this time the Jewish people believed that God was the God of Israel only and if Gentiles want to be a part of this privilege, they would have to follow the tenets of the law and partake of the Jewish ceremonies. That is why what Peter says in verse 38 and 39 is so important. You see, these Jews made a very strong statement to those around them that Judaism is not enough. They needed Jesus, their Messiah. Many of the Jews that converted at the day of Pentecost may very well have lost their connections to their families may have been completely isolated from them from this day forward. And even places of employment was something that they may have lost in this process. This was what happens when you walked away from Judaism at that time. This is where verse 43 through 45 plays a role in these matters. We're going to read it again. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. There was a community that's formed, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. You see, as they become a part of the local church, as we become a part of the local church, we, in a sense, become a public statement to people around us that we take our faith seriously. When you become a member here at Sovereign Grace Church, what you are telling those around you is that you align with what we teach at this church and how we practice our faith. This is no small thing that you align with what we state on our website, the doctrines that we hold dear, and how we believe that the church should be run. If you're a believer, the first thing you ought to do is to be baptized, as these Jewish people were. And they were baptized by immersion. They became a part of the local assembly. It wasn't enough that they were baptized and believed. They needed to be taught. It isn't as if you just say the words, you get dunked, and you're done. They need to be taught, just as we all need to be taught. There's no such thing as a self-taught disciple in the Bible. In fact, that doesn't exist. Discipleship, as one author puts it, is intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. By the way, accountability is required for discipleship to work. You can't have discipleship if accountability is not there. A disciple is meant to live a disciplined life. And none of us are disciplined enough to walk the journey alone. If Jesus had disciples that followed him, don't you think we ought to be following along with others as well? If Jesus taught his group of twelve, and then had an even closer relationship with three, don't you think it matters that we connect with people in the body like that? One of the unfortunate things that happens to both newer disciples of Jesus and those that have walked for some time is that they get stagnant in their faith because they fall into the trap of believing that they don't need others in their lives. I've got it figured out. I already trusted Jesus, I'm good. Or, I already went through all that discipleship stuff. I'm further advanced than that. I don't need anyone else in my life. This is another reason why fellowship is to be tied into all of this. Because when you and I don't have fellowship, discipleship doesn't happen either. They're tied together in Scripture. A disciple of Jesus who's been taught by others ought to be pouring out into others as well. You are not taught for it to stop with you. You are taught so that you can give that to someone else. Every one of us is different in our maturity in Christ. That means as we mature, we have others under us that may not be as mature that we ought to input into their lives. Your children can disciple someone else. Did you know that? It's not just adults that can disciple others. We tend to think pastors are the only ones that disciple. That is not the biblical model. That's modern Christianity today. Where people look to a pastor as the end all be all. Pastor, tell me. I don't want to do digging for myself. I don't want to read the word for myself. I don't want to pray. You do all that for me. I'll just go with what you say. That's not discipleship. That's laziness. That's not being a disciple. You are to share what you've been taught with those around you. You see, the unfortunate thing is that many pull away from the local church to do their own studies apart from the body of Christ and are themselves not willing to be taught. What do I mean by that? Well, they read the Bible on their own, at their own convenience. They pray whatever and whenever they feel like it. They go to church whenever they feel like it. Essentially, they determine how much they really want to grow in their walk with God based on how they're feeling that week. That is not biblical discipleship. That is not the model Scripture lays out for us. Essentially, they determine how much they really want to grow in their walk with God, all the while judging others that are faithfully pouring into the lives of others and thinking that they are somehow weak for holding each other accountable. You might need accountability. I don't. That's not mature. That's the attitude of many believers that have walked with God for some time. Uh, Yeah, young man, you need accountability. (laughs) You're struggling with all that, you know, sexual morality and stuff. So if you're older, you don't need to have accountability? Is that what we're arguing now in the church today? Unfortunately, that's what's happened for so long. Older saints look down on younger saints for needing accountability while they themselves don't have anyone else holding them accountable. People like when others are held accountable, not so much when we are. Let's be honest, right? You tell them, pastor. (laughs) Don't tell me. We love when that person gets called out for being a phony. What about when you are being one? I love when pastor calls out the culture and their sinful lifestyles. What about... What you are tolerating in your own home by what you listen and watch. Oh, don't go there. Don't go there. It's controversial. Let me tell you right now, believer, if you've never watched a show and turned it off when you know it's inappropriate, then you don't have discernment. There are biblical principles that you ought to apply, and many times Christians think, I can tolerate this. It's really okay. And what they don't realize is what they're allowing into their life is sin continually, and it grows. You should see sin as a dragon you need to slay. That's what you should see sin as. And instead, we've made it a pet in our homes. We love when politicians are exposed for their corruption. But how do we respond when scripture calls out our own deception? When accountability comes to all of us, we naturally tend to get defensive, we tend to get angry. We dismiss others because we prefer prefer to point out their flaw instead of ours. You've ever done that with somebody? I know I have. I'm being transparent for a moment. Someone calls me out. The first thing I have in my mind, well, what about you, brother? Like, don't you know what you've got going on? Like, you're going to come tell me? Really? You're going to tell me? Brothers and sisters, if that's our attitude, then we're not taking accountability seriously before God. Because scripture calls us to admonish one another. What does that word mean? That means you actually have to press against people sometimes, and you're going to have some difficult conversations. There's a different word, encouragement, that's used as well. We all come to a place where we really have to admit as much as we say we want the truth, many times we can't handle the truth. It's when we willingly hold one another accountable knowing it's for our good that we can grow into the people that God has called us to be instead of being stuck up as many Christians are. I'm better than you frauds always thinking we know better than everyone else around us. You ever been turned off by someone else's hypocrisy only for God to reveal that the hypocrite really is you? I've seen it so many times in my life. It's there that we realize that fellowship matters, and that you and I can't grow apart from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Biblical fellowship mattered to these converts in Acts, to the point that the word that's used here is they dedicated, or devoted, as one translation puts it, themselves to be taught. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Believer, are you devoted to being taught the Word of God? Or is that just someone else? They should be devoted. I love that Brother Doug loves the Bible. That's so neat. What about me? Do I love the Bible? Do I want to be in the Bible? Do I want the Word of God to impact my life? In the context that this is brought up is in a group of believers, not you doing some solo research and doing your own study. This is in the context of community. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians have solo Bible studies. Oh, you know what I saw? Look at this. I I did my own stuff. And there's nothing wrong with solo studying. I'm not saying you should never study the Word for yourself. The whole point is you should study the Word. But think of the benefit when it's at a community setting. Think of the benefit when you have brothers and sisters that you can, wow, look, look at what God's shown me. Biblical fellowship is found in the pages of Scripture, in our union with the body of Christ, because we first have fellowship with God. And we talked about this in our series in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, here's what It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Our fellowship with one another will directly be related to our fellowship with God as believers. They are not to be separated. If you are one in the body of Christ, you ought to have fellowship with other believers. Let me repeat that again. Our fellowship with one another will directly be related to our fellowship with God as believers. Which is why there can be no genuine fellowship with others if we're walking in darkness and not practicing the truth. Any church that does not make Jesus Lord, does not make Jesus the priority in their church, is not fellowshipping in the way scripture calls it. You will not be connected to the body of Christ while you are in sin apart from him. Which is why accountability in the local church is so important. A church that does not call out your sin is not doing what God's called them to. This is why when there is no accountability, there can be no genuine fellowship, else the church becomes just a country club With some shared interest in the style of worship, the fun things we enjoy together, and what we eat, sports we watch, while we ignore the very things that Scripture calls us to and that need to be dealt with in our own lives. We essentially live like the world. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That is not biblical fellowship. Believer, it should matter to you and me that we are getting as much of the Word as we can. It's no small thing that you and I are taught in this church. We should be around the Word together. Talk about it throughout the week. Be in prayer together. In fact, there'd be plenty to talk about if you and I read the Bible for ourselves every day. Think of the discussions you could have with other brothers and sisters in this church if you were reading the Bible just like they are. Even if you're a bit behind, you'd still have plenty to discuss. Fellowship is lived out when we take what Peter writes in 1 Peter, which will be our next study, by the way, Apostles' Teaching, And engage in how it can be lived out in the body of Christ. Engaging in difficult topics that become quite personal as Peter deals with them in his book. Peter deals with the call to holy living. Peter deals with building one another up, respecting authority, marital relationships. And he also gives advice to pastors on how they ought to lead. There's a gut punch as you're reading through that and studying. Parents should be discipled so that they can in turn disciple their children as they ought to. Sadly, many come to hear the word and go without without it affecting them, without a desire to teach others what they themselves have learned. Listen, believer, let me just give you this little nugget that I think is so important for all of us. If you come into church to hear the word of God, but you don't ever want to share that word of God with anybody else, what is wrong with us? what is wrong with us why why is it such a small point that we don't emphasize in our own lives i mean let's be honest right all of us have these new things that come come to the scene that we really enjoy right like we have a new book that's coming out or a new movie that we want to go see or you know there's something going on in our lives that's brand new we got a house whatever right something big in our lives that's going on we tell people about it don't we And yet we're like, I've got the good news of Jesus. I'm not sharing with anyone. I'm not going to say nothing. I hope they figure it out by my life. What? It ought to be shared. It's the good news. Men encouraging men and women encouraging women is the very thing that's been established in Scripture. So, why are so many not in fellowship with other saints? I ask myself this question as a pastor all the time. Why are so many not in fellowship with other saints? Truth is, we've all had our share of excuses that we believe are valid reasons for why we can't be in fellowship with the saints. But we ought to ask ourselves, not what we prefer, but what does Scripture say? Like, what's... What's the Bible call us to? Not what I want. Believer, there's a lot of things that you and I want. The Scripture says, listen, that's probably not the best for you. The church has always contained people that were from different backgrounds, with different personal interests. Some disciples of Jesus, in case you're needing a recap, some disciples of Jesus were fishermen. Some were tax collectors. They didn't get along. Whoa, there's people that had tension in the church sometimes. Oh, yeah. What'd you think? Everybody came in for a kumbaya session every time? No. Some saints were even Pharisees. Paul didn't fit in with some of them when he became a believer. So much so that he needed someone else to say, hey, he's genuine. He really is a believer now, he's a Christian when Paul originally was going after Christians. Like, you'd probably be hesitant too if you knew that he had somebody that you knew already in jail. Really? He really converted? I don't know about that. We need to be understanding of one another's needs, which is why the principle here matters. Just so you know, believer, your standard is not another brother or sister whether or not you should be in fellowship with the saints, your standard is the Lord Jesus and how he himself lived. So when you and I compare and go, well, I'm more like this than they are, that's the wrong comparison. The standard is Jesus, and are, are, you, are you attaining that? Are you aiming for that? You see, Christ sacrificed of himself for us. We ought also to do that for the good of the brethren. In Philippians 2, 3 through 11, and we're going to read this in the New Living Translation, I love the way this is spelled out for all of us. Here's what it says. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. A.W. Pink says this, he says, If any occupation association is found to hinder our communion with God or our enjoyment of spiritual things, then it must be abandoned. Anything in my habits or ways which mars happy fellowship with the brethren or robs me of power and service is to be unsparingly judged and made an end of, burned. Whatever I cannot do for God's glory must be avoided. Don't hear what Pink's not saying. What Pink is not saying is you shouldn't enjoy things in life. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is If you're enjoying things in life at the expense of what God's called you to do in the body of Christ, then that needs to be severed. And we all have our dreams of what we would like. There are many things that we as believers want for ourselves, for our families. I know as a father, I have certain things I'd like to see in our home, I'd like to get done, I have a future plan for certain things. But if my children don't know Christ, they don't value the gospel, they don't value the word of God, I failed. I can have a ton of money left over for them later on, but if I didn't give them Jesus, who cares? Here's more money on your way to hell. You think that's a good idea? You think that's the better option for many of us? The truth is, as this text says, everyone ought to participate. Verse 43, Then fear came upon every soul, that's those that were saved, those that responded to the gospel. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. Here's where the rubber meets the road. In the church, God's church, everyone participates. There isn't the few, the 20% rule that everybody likes to cling to. In God's church, everyone participates. At least that's the way it ought to be. There are no bench warmers in the healthy church. It isn't just a bunch of people just sitting there on the bench going, Good job, guys. Keep going. You're doing a good job. I'm doing nothing but clapping. That's all I'm going to do. You go, pastor. Good job. Way to do those things that God calls you to while I sit here just clapping and cheering you on. Everybody needs to be involved. And that involvement may be very different for you than it is for me. Everyone wants to be a part of the action. Just as you have players on a team and a coach, you also have staff that helps the team with getting the equipment. There are so many that help behind the scenes to make this church what it is, and nobody else knows. What you have going on here is not socialism, okay? It's not everyone getting paid the same amount and sharing that with everybody. That's not what's going on here. What you have here are specifics. The believers shared what they had. You're going to have something different than someone else does. Another thing here is they didn't hold on tightly to their money. They weren't like stingy people like, it's mine. They understood that another brother or sister that just came to faith lost their job. That's really what happens here. They understand that another brother's sister is not as well off as they are, so they help them out. They help the church's needs. They notice what's going on with people around them. Here's one of the truest things that we need to be aware of as a church all the time. We need to be aware of one another's needs. And you're never gonna be aware of others' needs if you don't spend time with people. One of, one of the most touching things for me over the years was I've had some low points in my life that, um, th- and there's, there's two extremes on this when it comes to um, people in the church. There are some that like broadcast all their problems on Facebook, everybody knows. And then there are those that are like, I'm not gonna share nothing. I don't want anybody to know. I'm embarrassed to even say this. There, there, there are two extremes on that. And I think as a church, we, we ought to be careful to not run to one of those two extremes, you know? And so one of the things, just kind of going back in my life, um, I, had, I had some serious things going on behind the scenes, and I didn't know how to approach it with other people. I'm a very open, outgoing person, but there are things that you're like, I don't know if I should share this. Like, this is going to crush me to, to share with others. And, and, and if you're a man, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Like, when your identity's in your work, like, one of the most humiliating moments of my life was... When I was down south and I essentially got demoted over something that someone else did. One of the hardest things I've ever dealt with in my entire life. I still remember going home from that and crying my eyes out. Like I literally lost my identity as a man. And it's not to the extent that some of you have had it. You have more serious circumstances that God's dealt with in your life. But I remember... As I was dealing with that and and other things came up in my life that were hard, just being careful in how I said things to others and what I asked and what I asked prayer for, that I've had people in my life that came into my life specifically for those moments I needed them. And you've had that as well. Just at the right time, God sends somebody to help in that need. And maybe the help in that need was not someone giving you a check for $5,000, but an encouraging word that you needed to get going, to work, to keep moving forward, to not give up. And so many of you, you've been that soothing agent to my soul many times when I don't know what else to do but to give up. And you've come alongside and said, Pastor, I'm praying for you. Pastor, I really appreciate what you said in the sermon last week. And I'm sitting there going, I thought that sermon went nowhere. Um, But that encouragement. Helping that person's need. And my need's different than yours. Uh, my, My love language is definitely not words of affirmation. If it was, I would have quit ministry a long time ago. but as this text clearly says everyone participated they came together there were rich and there were poor in that assembly there were people that were well off not so well off, in the middle if you will so how does this work when it comes to us here as a church like this is where we want to get a little more practical okay for starters you and I can only give what we can give All right, like what we don't want you to do is go take out a loan and then give. Like we want you to pay off your debts if you're in debt. Here's what you don't do though, get more debt and then go, I can't give. That's also not the right response. If you make more than someone else, you can give more than someone else. If you're married, you have other responsibilities than if you're single, and Scripture speaks to that. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 mentions this. If you're married with children in the home you have more responsibility than if you're married with no children in the home all sorts of nuances with ages and amount of children to sort out right you have a child that's grown a child that's still a toddler a child that's an infant those are different stages there are certain things you probably can't do depending on the stage If you work one job, you have more time that you can give possibly than if you work multiple jobs, right? Like, we understand that there are different circumstances for all of us. The question is, what do you do with the money God has blessed you with? That does matter. If you spend your money on the things you enjoy without a concern for what God wants, it will show up in your life. The more you and I want to hold on to our possessions we've been given with no regard for eternity, the less we can be used in the kingdom. And I want to encourage you. We're going to talk a little bit more about this here at the end. I want you to start intentionally planning to use your money to build fellowship in this church. Like, there's the stretch. Like, Pastor Rums not asking you to put more in the box, even though that's very helpful for us. I want you to be more intentional with the way you spend your money, not on yourself, but for the fellowship of the saints. If you and I are God centered, it will show with the money He has given us. After all, we all claim this thing, right? It's all God's, anyways, right? We all say it. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? Here's the thing God has given you talents, gifts, and skills that are different from others in this church. God may be calling you to fill a role no one else in this church will fill because they don't see the role that's needed. Sometimes you see something that no one else in the church sees. And you know what? That may be a divine thing. God may have specifically showed it to you because guess what? You're the one. What? Yeah, you might be the one God wants to use in that area. You may see something that needs to be done that isn't currently being done or that needs to be done differently. Sometimes things are done poorly, right? Pray and ask if this is something that maybe God wants you to take on as a task. So many people point out the problems in the church, but never want to include themselves as a part of that solution. Like, like, here's the amazing part about the church the church revolves around Christ. What does Christ call us to do? Be a part of the body. And if we're part of the body, guess who plays a part? You and I do. It's really not rocket science. You see, in any church, there are really typically three types of people, right? Number one, you have the ones that see the problems and try to fix every problem. They overwork themselves and stress themselves out and get bitter after a while. Like, you got that group of people. You also have the ones that see the problems and constantly think it's everyone else's job to fix those problems. Like, hey, there's something going on over there. I want to fix that. God's calling you. And then there's the third category, the ones that see the problems, know what their limitations are. Look, like, I, can't, I can, probably can't help in this area as much, but I'll do something different to help you out. Help where they can, staying healthy physically, spiritually, emotionally, while encouraging others to help where they can. That's the people we need to be. The ones that are like, you know what, I might not be able to do everything, but here's what I could do. I can come alongside you help you out with that. I won't have time to do this project. Here's $500. Go ahead and get all the supplies, get it done. Let's be practical for a moment, and I want you to pause for a moment, church, and everything I've just said, put it all in one ball, and think of family. In your family, you have responsibilities, don't you? In your family, you have certain things that you do at home that you don't expect guests to do, yes or no? It's your responsibility to take care of certain things in your house. Like, you don't invite somebody over and go, hey, clean my house. At least I hope you don't do that. Whew, that's not a guest anymore. So think of family and think of it this way. If you think there needs to be something when it comes to someone that needs a call or a follow-up with new visitors, maybe you should just do it. Like, I don't know if you've ever had siblings and we kind, you kind of plan things. Someone has to finally just make the move. Like, We're going to Disney this year, or we're going to go to do this, or we're going to go to Wolf Lodge, whatever it is, right? Your circumstances are different than my family's, right? What are we going to do together? Someone has to make the call, and we all just go, all right, let's do it. The people that don't take any action don't have a right to complain. Unfortunately, we think we do, right? In the church, it's always that way. But I wouldn't have done it that way. You didn't even try. Of course you wouldn't have done it that way. You stood on the sidelines, just critiqued everything. If it's bothering you that certain things look terrible in this building and you don't have the skills to fix yourself, maybe you can get somebody else to do it, but help them. Help them. Financially give if you can. Don't applaud others when God has given you the ability to give as well. Don't just stand back and thank God for everybody else doing the work. That's not biblical. I'm so grateful for my church and that they care for people and that this person loves that person. What are you doing? Nothing. I'm just grateful for everybody else doing all the work. That's not the attitude we ought to have. Don't say I'll be praying for you if God has given you the ability to also help that person. Believer, because you and I are gifted differently, what bothers you won't bother me, by the way. And that's actually good, because you're going to see things that I won't. And I know, unfortunately, sometimes i will see things you won't. We tend to think everyone should be able to do what we find important to do. Has that ever been you? Well, we need this in the church. Okay, how many people are going to do that? One. Like, that's hard for me as a pastor to go, yeah, I'm back. I'm behind this one. Let's do this project for one person. I don't know if it's going to work. The truth is there may be a ministry that God's called you to that someone else doesn't deem as important as you do. Does that mean that you stop doing the ministry God's called you to? No. Believer, you need to realize that different people in this church are going to have different skill sets and ministries and giftings that God's given them and what they find important will be different than what you find important. Here's the difficulty for all of us. Step back and go, am I being humble enough to do what God says in this matter? Am I humbling myself enough to go, I got my needs, but maybe if I met that person's needs, that would help my needs be met. Just because you and I are afraid of failure doesn't mean we shouldn't do what God's called us to in this church. You ever done that before? You ever not done something because you're afraid it's going to fail? It'll never work. We tried that before. It's been 20 years. Nothing changes. That's exactly what doesn't work. We should do the best that we can even if others don't. How do you think Paul felt in prison alone? for his faith. You think he felt alone and thinking nobody else is a Christian? No, he felt alone because some people straight up abandoned him. They gave up. They pursued other things. Don't sit around waiting for all the things to be done in the church. Get your hands dirty and help in the work. I have found this to be too true in my life. The times I complain most about What others are is the time I have personally not taking the time to connect with them. Because I think one of the default human positions is to assume the worst about people. You may very well be a starter in a particular ministry, but someone else can take over. You may be like, listen, I can only do this for a certain period of time. doesn't mean you shouldn't start it. God has given you abilities others don't have, and He wants you to use them. If we all had the same gifts and abilities, we would only be a one dimensional church. Imagine if everybody was a teacher. That'd be annoying. Oh, it's my turn to speak. Get out of the way. I don't think you're all that good. Let me get out of the way. Let me do this. Let me show you how it's done. There are different needs that need to be met in the local body, and each person has a specific role that God's called them to, and he wants them to play. If you're an encourager, don't quit encouraging people. Here's what's hard for encouragers. They get discouraged. can, Can I just kind of share a little bit more of my heart on this? If you're an encourager, realize that at times, you'll probably be the only one that sees the positive in that person. You might be the only one at, that, at times that sees what really is beyond the flaw right now. And if you notice people that are giving and encouraging others, be willing to see that they need encouragement as well. Don't be one of those, and I've been this one many times, thanking everybody for what they do and never, ever, ever caring to care for them like I ought to. Oh, well, Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Bye. I'm on my way. They made me feel great. I'm good. And you didn't care to even invest in them ever. We need each other, brothers and sisters. The fellowship that we share in Christ will motivate us to get things done. And when we do what we are called to, Believer, here's what's awesome about this text. When we do what God's called us to, here's the result. Read with me verses 46 through 47. Here's the result of doing what God's called us to in the church. Okay, This is what the Word of God says. This is literally what happens. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Wow. When the church does what it's supposed to, God takes care of the results. What a result. The church does what it's supposed to, and God brings more into the church. If you're waiting for God to move when you're not doing what he's called you to, you're waiting for the wrong thing. So in conclusion, how important is fellowship to you? How important is fellowship to you? It's time to act on the very thing so many of us complain about, to make it a point to be a community in this church. Koinonia, the church was built for community. Yet we still live like it's our own thing. Be intentional to be in fellowship with other saints. Believer, let me encourage you, with every excuse you come up with, find a reason to make it a priority. Because we can always find excuses. I don't feel like it today. And how many times has God blessed you when you went, even when you didn't feel like it? You and I know it's true. In closing, Spurgeon says this, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly intercourse than we do. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation.